talking about, hey, honey, is there is there something that I can help you with? How can I better serve? And both of you have that ongoing conversation. I think that's really key to not just a better life, but also making more money. Welcome, everybody, to The Chris Harder Show, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success, knowing that when good people like you make good money, they can then do great things. My name is Chris Harder, and several times per week, I will bring you epic guests, solo episodes, and every single tool, trick, and skill set you need to grow your business, grow your money mindset, and to grow your wealth to levels that you have never reached before. I've ended up in a unique place in life where I've got the experience, the connections, and all of the secrets that it takes to be successful. And I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Chris Harder Show. It's another Money Monday here where we talk all things money, how to make money, how to preserve more of your money, and certainly how to grow it. I'm actually sitting down with a financial expert when it comes to money, Mr. Derek Kinney. Now, he's not just a financial expert whose specialty is making money simple, but he's also the author of the brand new book, The Good Money Revolution. And here's why I wanted to have him on. Here's what I love about Derek. He shares a common belief with me that getting more money in the hands of good people is not just a good thing. It's a must. Like literally in the world right now, it is a must that we get more money in the hands of great human beings like you. And that is our common mission. So we're going to weigh in on everything from what investments you should be making. We're even going to weigh in on when debt is good and when to know that debt is bad. Believe it or not, not all debt is bad and not all debt is good. We're going to weigh in on cryptocurrency if you've ever worried about that and so many other great tips around money. So listen, this is one of those episodes where you're going to leave a financially more intelligent individual than when we started. And that's the goal. Leave you better than we found you. So get ready, listen up, take some notes because Derek is about to drop some serious, awesome financial knowledge for you. Derek, great to meet you. Welcome to the show. Chris, it's great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Same. You know, we got a chance to chat offline quite a bit. You know, the piece that everyone doesn't get to listen to and immediately realize that we have a lot of things in common. One of them being, you know, talking about generosity quite a bit when it comes to money. I'm really excited to to eventually get there in the show. But I wanted to start uh, at a different point, something that you and I just chatted about. And that is our fathers. Uh, one thing we have in common is we both lost our, our fathers uh, yeah. in about the last year or so. And I know how incredibly difficult that can be. So number one, I'm sorry. Uh, but number two, I also know how much value they add to us. And I think I saw a video on, on Instagram recently where you were referencing value, like thoughts, ideas that your father had, had left you, both directly and indirectly. And one of those thoughts was nothing ventured, nothing gained. Would you mind <laughs> yeah. kicking off the show by sharing one or two lessons that you've taken from your father's legacy? Wow, Chris, you hit right at the emotional cord right at the beginning. <laughs> so this is going to be a fun that. interview. No, no, this is great. This is great. You know, it's, it's interesting because I recorded that video because one of the mantras my dad had was nothing ventured, nothing gained. And it's one of those phrases that you don't think about it much as a kid, but as an adult, you just hold dearly to it. 
I probably say that phrase to myself at least once a day. The funny thing about it is growing up, my dad was always the encourager to my sister and I saying, you can do all things. You can go for it. He would send me articles if he was traveling and I had a football game about great running backs facing adversity. So he was always there step-by-step. When I went to college, he lost his job here locally. They moved up to the Pacific Northwest. So that distance really redefined our relationship in the sense that it really wasn't there. And it really wasn't his fault. It was just he was off in a new career. I was independent as this freshly graduated college student. And so we kind of went our separate ways. But what I took from that was I saw a dad growing up that always took out the trash, always did the dishes. And now I find myself taking out the trash, doing the dishes. But he reached a point, Chris, and I think this will go deeper to your question, where he wanted to succeed and he wanted to take the risk, but he couldn't quite get there. He could stand right at the precipice. He could look down and see it and see over the chasm where the opportunity was, but he couldn't do it. But he encouraged me and I took hold of that And I went for it and I've had success. I've built a business and sold a business and done some other things much like you have. But what it taught me was so many people listening may be thinking, you know what, because I haven't taken the risk myself and I don't have that, really that example to give to somebody, can I really offer them encouragement? Is that really authentic? And I would say, yes, it is because the voice you have inside of saying, you know what, I see something special in you. Like my dad said to me, I see a talent or a gift. Even though I haven't done it, I want to encourage you to take the risk and do it. And because if you don't do that, you might be actually holding someone back from achieving their true greatness. And so even though my dad to his dying day would say, Derek, I can't believe how successful you were. What he was really saying was, I wish I could have done the same thing you did, but I'm sure thankful that you did it. Oh, Derek, thanks for being willing to share that. And that's that's really encouraging. Yeah. I think we live in a time right now where there's plenty of people who have uh, walked the path and now they're teaching how they walked that path. And then there's other people who have not yet walked the path, but they have great things to teach. And I yes. think that's a good example to empower both parties to say, hey, if you have something positive to teach, then shout it from the mountaintops because somebody out there needs to hear that, whether you've already walked it or not. It may just, even if it just start somebody's journey, even if it gives them one more step in, in the puzzle, that's really valuable. So thanks for, for being willing to share that. You bet, but you sticking bet. on the theme of family, you have, is it four children? Four kids, yes. Okay. What kind of financial legacy, what kind of messaging around money do you want them to say, hey, this is what dad left me with? Wow. This, I was warned about your podcast, Chris, and you would ask really good questions. So you are not letting me down. Believe me, this is good. This is really good. You know, one person told me many years ago that more is often caught than taught, that I can tell things to my kids. And it's often the analogy of if I tell them, it goes in one ear and right back out the other. But I'll give you an example. My son, who loved baseball, when I would take him to private baseball lessons, because I realized he had quickly exceeded the knowledge of dad, I would call the coach ahead of time and say, you know, coach, would you mind saying this to Connor? Would you mind telling him this affirmation? And so afterwards, I would pick Connor up. He'd say, dad, you're not going to believe what the coach told me. I said, what? And he would tell me verbatim what I told the coach to tell him. And so the challenge was having that poker face of acting surprised, like, son, that is incredible. That's awesome. Because the coach said it, 
it's stuck in between his ears. And one thing I've learned is the best way to teach my kids is really by announcing to them the mistakes and really the goof-ups that I've made as a dad. You know, when I come home from the office, Back in the day when we, when we all sat around the table back in COVID times, and I would talk about, hey, here, here was my day. How's your day? Well, my day was just a regular day. But if I tell them, you know what, guys, I really goofed up today. I really made a major mistake. Well, suddenly you could hear a pin drop in the room. All eyes and ears are on dad because they love to hear, wow, dad screwed up. This will be worth hearing. And so I think my legacy I want to leave for them is, number one, to bet on yourself. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm just asking for you to try to extract every ounce of potential inside of you. And that's really what I think my role as a dad is, to be a potential extractor. That I can kind of chip away a little bit, pull that out and let them see their potential. Then they can determine what they want to do with it. You know, For example, I've opened up a couple of stock accounts for my kids now. And it's fun to have that dialogue of, hey, are you buying some crypto? Are you buying some blue chips? Are you buying these things? And then we talk about trend-based investing, which I'm a big fan of. So I teach a business club at our kids' school. And the premise of it is to help people to know them, like them, and trust them. Because we know today it's all about trust. And if we can teach people how to do that, oftentimes their businesses will go very, very well. But what I wanted them to know was, look, if you can find out what are the trends of other people your same age, these are junior and seniors in high school, what shoes are they wearing? What phones are they using? What shirts are they wearing? What, what services and products do they use? Probably a lot of other people use the same thing. Why not simply buy that stock as a way, as an entree to you in the stock market? That way you want to study it because you like the product or service. If I tell you to go buy you know, a stock that my grandparents recommended, there's probably not going to be that level of interest there and the excitement's going to wane. So ultimately it's like, teaching money to you know a five or six-year-old with candy and the pieces that I take some away, you get more, and it kind of grows from there. So betting on yourself and also a piece of all you earn is yours to keep. And that comes straight out of one of my favorite books, The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson. If you look at the book I've got, Chris, the cover is worn off. It's like my Bible, for goodness <laughs> sakes. Because it's a book that I read over and over again. There's those certain books that you just feel alive when you turn the pages. And that's been a book for me. A funny story, real quick. So I hired a woman in my office. And she could not get to the office on time to save her life. And so I then adjusted her hours. She was supposed to be there 8 o'clock. And she could only get there like at 8.30. So I said, tell you what, let's work from 8.30 to 5.30. Well, then she realized she couldn't get there till 9. This just went on and on. But the one thing she did was her husband read read this book called The Richest Man in Babylon. And she said, you know, Derek, my husband loves this book. I think you might like it. So I ended up having to to let this lady go because she just couldn't show up. But for about $40,000 that year of salary, the biggest benefit I got was The Richest Man in Babylon. So (laughs) Wow. That's a cool story. She left you with a great gift. She did. It was a great gift. It's actually paid dividends for many, many years. <laughs> it's amazing how every single person in our life, regardless of the interaction, they're going to leave you with a gift if you look for it. That's a really cool reminder to always look for the yeah. gift. You know, you talked about teaching your kids to spot trend-based investing. It's a great segue to, to go into investing. We live in a wild time right now. Yeah. Um, crypto, Robinhood, um, uh, Coinbase, all these apps where 
basically anybody can get on there and just start betting on anything. What is your advice with so many distractions out there? What is your advice to the young investor these days? Well, I think right now you need to be investing on a systematic basis. I'm a big fan of a couple concepts. One is set and forget. If you can set up a monthly draft from your checking account into an investment account, that way sometimes you're buying things high, sometimes things low, but you're in the habit of buying investments all the time. And I always like to separate, are you using your money for an expense or an investment? And ask yourself that question, really, Chris, with every single purchase. The other thing I would tell them is to think of their investing like in four lanes. You hear about buckets and all different analogies, but what I believe makes sense for people, just like we drive, there's typically four lanes on a given highway. That far right-hand lane is typically your checking account, your savings account. It's the non-get-rich-quick account, but it's going to be there when you need it. It may earn a paltry one-tenth of 1%, but it's there. The next lane is going to be for those three- to five-year goals. So let's say you want to pay off credit cards at a certain time. I want to save for that big trip. I want to have a down payment for my house. That money there, maybe it's earning 2 to 3%, still liquid, but it's not going to earn a whole lot of money, but it's there for you. The next lane is that longer-term retirement lane. Now we think about the 401ks, the IRAs, those retirement accounts you have if you work for a company or for yourself, annuities, whatever the case may be, more the blue chip, long-term strategy, maybe an annuity, those kind of things. But then the far left-hand lane, I think, really drives home where millennials and and even younger people are today. Typically, that far left-hand lane is where people drive the fastest, Mm -hmm. they get the most tickets, the most accidents occur in that far left-hand lane. So I like to put money sparingly there. I call that the play account. And that's the account where if you hit it big, you're going to wonder, well, why didn't the rest of my money keep up their part of the bargain? Because this money did really, really well. But by the same token, if this money doesn't do well, you're glad you have this other money here. So over here, I think about in that far left lane, you can't ignore crypto right now, Chris. I just, I think... People make a big case that it's it's air, it's not real. Well, it's real because people say it's real yep. and they put money into it. Therefore, the focus group of life is telling you it is real. So I think right now, and I've made quite a bit of money on Ethereum, mm-hmm. on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, I, and Chris, with integrity, because I know you're a man of integrity, I wouldn't bring it up if I hadn't done it myself yep. and made money. And I've lost some money too. In other words, any advisor worth their salt has to put their money on the line first before putting a client's money on the line. I've always believed that, and that's always worked out well for me. But now I've got my kids doing that. Hey, just add a little bit of money in every single month, every week or so, and and let's see how this thing goes. But the bottom line right now is, look, are there problems? And you probably see this. When they line up magazine covers from Time Magazine or Newsweek or back every decade, every year's headline is, inflation concerns, worries about the market, the world is in turmoil. And you think, oh my gosh, that's 2021. Then you realize, oh no, that's 1968. Then you look at the next issue. Oh no, no, that's 1971. And it's like, oh my gosh, they just use the same cover over and over again. And my fear, here's my fear, Chris, is that the generation above the millennial generation right now, they might actually speak so much negative into this upcoming emerging generation that it might cause them to be scared and fearful, 
not to take advantage of the plethora of opportunities that are literally right in front of us. Yeah. You know, Russell Conwell called it the acres of diamonds, literally spread all around us. You know, some people say, Derek, I'm going to buy real estate in Nashville, or I'm going to go over to, to LA, or I'm going to go, why don't you look around your own backyard? Because a lot of people, even in Dallas, Fort Worth, where I am, mm-hmm. real estate is red hot. The bottom line is this, there's opportunities galore, and I want my kids to have antennas on all the time looking for opportunities. That's the bottom line. That was an amazing analogy, the visual of the four lanes. Um, you know, you're known for making money simple, and I, I can see now as to why. Those analogies are great. So speaking of making money simple, give me your two best principles around making or investing money right now. Well, I think, and this goes to a deeper core, because often having the ability to invest goes back to something underneath that we don't see. And that is, I think right now, people have to live below their means. They simply have to. I would be doing malpractice if I said, look, go invest if you barely can make ends meet right now. And what I want people to think about, this is going to sound harsh and it may cause people's blood pressure to go up. And that's not the intention. But listen, if your boss came to you today and said, look, to keep your job, you have to take a 20% pay cut. What would you do? Well, most people simply find a way to do it. we had countless stories back in a previous recession when one or more of our clients lost their jobs, they were married, and they found a way to live on one income. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't what they planned. But then when things got better, guess what they could do? They could save almost that entire second person's salary. Now, think about that for a moment. That spells opportunity. Now you're confident because you have money that you could lose, but you could also make it in the stock market, in real estate. And what I find is if you're barely making ends meet right now, you're probably wound up as tight as a snare drum. You don't want to let a dollar go for fear of, I'm going to need that dollar to pay off debt. So the first thing I would say is, Find a way creatively to reduce down your standard of living because we know expenses always meet income Mm -hmm. and it isn't always a fun party to be at. We know that that always occurs. The other thing I would say is this, encourage you to save at least 10% right now. And again, there's so many opportunities. If you want to just be the set and forget person, go into the S&P 500 index. I love it. You know, you're betting on, probably the 500 brightest, smartest male and female CEOs to guide their company while you do the other stuff. And so just put the money in there and let it go. Other people may want to have a more active role. They may want to buy some of the stocks that, you know, maybe it's crypto, maybe it's cybersecurity, maybe it's the big boom in entrepreneurism right now. All those pieces there, but I would just say at a minimum, Put in 10%. If you want to do set and forget, SPY may be the way to go. I love that. What's the, the historical average on that is what, 9 to 11% over time, including every boom, bust, the whole nine yards? I mean, that's that's a pretty strong case for set it and forget it, or at least for one of those lanes, back to the analogy that you talked about before. Well, I think it makes the case. And one thing, Chris, I find, and this is an analogy I would give you, you know, if you've ever bought, actually, if you've ever built a house, you know, when I would help clients save for a house and then they build it, What I find time after time is people that build houses 
tend to have their income actually drop or they do worse in their job. And this is interesting because they're completely distracted. Their focus is on the shiny nickel down here, and they're letting dollar bills literally float away right in front of them. So not that I'm knocking building a house, but I think you need to be prepared that if I do this, how will I handle distraction, which could actually cost me even more money? And you know, right now, I think people want to outsmart themselves. We saw, and I was on television, this would have been March 10th of 2020. And I remember talking about how, look, we're probably very close to the bottom of the market. And keep in mind, Chris, at that point, people are saying on both sides, you got to sell everything. You got to get out of the market right now. We're going straight to hell in a handbasket. Well, other people, voice of reasons out there, me being one of them, this could perhaps be the best buying opportunity that we've ever had. And we've seen the market now double since that point. So what I would just say is, put money in the market, keep doing it regularly. Typically, the most money I've made is I put money in as the market was dropping. Those seeds are in the ground. And one day the sun comes out, those seeds blossom, and you've made money. And now you're the person that made the right decision. Let's, you know, you're big on on teaching from personal experience. What's the best investment you've made or one of them? And what is one of the worst investments that you've made that we could learn from? Yeah, okay, so... I love the question because I've actually shared this with my kids and just a handful of others. But when Visa first IPO'd, I uh, had 10 clients and we went into this ahead of time. I wasn't wasn't available to get it before it went IPO, but just the moment it went IPO, I put in myself, I think I put in $50,000. Yeah, about $50,000. And clients put in different amounts. Well, when I sold it, that was well over a million dollars. Oh, that's great. Well, and and it, it was great. But what I went back to and I said, what caused that? And more importantly, what caused me to take action on it? Because ultimately, I could see the opportunity, but then I had to make the decision to jump. And then I had to feel confident to lead my clients to do the same thing. Because what if we all lost money? At least I was in there losing money with them. And that's what I told them. So what I looked at was, I said, look, Visa is well-respected. People use credit cards all the time. It's a behavioral issue that I was simply investing into that was already established. It wasn't a company saying, here's this brand new product, and we think it's going to work. Invest in us. This was a company that said, we're already being used by a lot of people, and we have a low cost structure. This was a good opportunity. So Visa was really, really good. We did that. We did similar things with Google, Chipotle. You know, there, there's just certain companies that you know when they go that they're going to make money because there's already a, an acceptance by the consumer that there's not a big change of behavior. You're simply investing in what's already happening. Um, in, in terms of loss, I would just say recently, um, I, with Ethereum, for example, um, selling my business, I sold, actually made a significant gain in Ethereum, which paid basically half my tax bill, which was great. But then you start to get too smart for yourself, okay? So let me be completely vulnerable and transparent here. Now you sort of feel like, 
man, I'm the Ethereum expert here. I've got this market corner. You know where I'm going. Yep. And so then I began to kind of pull out and get back in. And, and so then it dropped and I had taken money out and put it all back in and it dropped really badly. Yeah. And so lost some money there. And the lesson though, because you, you hate to lose money and not learn the lesson. If you don't, if you don't learn the lesson, then you really lost money. Then yep. you're just kind of dumb. I didn't yep. want I, I was I was pretty stupid when I made the decision, but at least I wasn't dumb for having not learned the lesson. And that was go back in gradually, just like you went in as it was going back up again. So again, thanks for the question. But to be transparent, even people who I feel like I'm I'm skilled with managing money, there is that sense that occurs that because you've had a big win, they call it a recency bias. Mm-hmm. I had the win. I must be on a hot streak, and then the market can humble you very quickly. Oh, I have an Ethereum story. I'll save it for a different time, but <laughs> it's very, very similar, whereas it ended up being one of the worst, worst moves I made. Okay, so let's, let's kind of shift into debt. Um, debt is very inexpensive right now. You know, rates are historically lower than ever, and I'm talking everything from mortgages to SBA incentivized loans to you name it. I mean, I've never seen so much cheap liquidity floating around in the market out there. I see two parties out there. One party is uh, anti-debt, regardless. Another party is saying, scoop this up as much as you can right now, because you know, if you consider inflation versus debt, it's almost break-even, if not making money just by literally leaving it in, you know, in the bank. So what are your thoughts around debt right now? Well, debt, of course, is a four-letter word, and we know that four-letter words are often bad, Chris. But if you're taking on things and buying things just to accumulate them with money you don't have to pay off, that is the clear line in the sand for me. If I buy the bigger house, I buy the bigger car, I buy things that I can't pay off the end of each month when the credit card bill comes, that's on me. And that makes bad debt. Great rule. But now let me, yeah, let me completely pivot that though and say, because I know many of your listeners are entrepreneurs or business owners, I'm a big believer in the motto of bet on yourself. And it's very difficult. I candidly never found a way to do it. I bought about four businesses over my lifetime. I borrowed money for all of those businesses. Okay. Now, what I did though, is I borrowed the down payment to make one of the businesses and paid it off very, very quickly. Others, it gave me how how I think about debt is debt is a ticket. Mm -hmm. And the ticket says, welcome to the game. You get to then choose where you sit, what you do with that ticket, but it says, welcome, you have a seat somewhere in this room. And then it's up to you then to determine what you do with that ticket. And so what I would tell you, Chris, is there with my first business I bought, would actually it actually doubled our size in our financial planning practice. This was 2008. Didn't know how I was going to do it. No bank would lend me money. God bless my brother-in-law came to the rescue, lent me money. And he said, Derek, to be candid, I've never had a relative ever pay me back, ever. And so he cautiously, because he knew me, we were good friends, knew my business acumen. He lent me the money to buy that practice. So literally, I put none of my own money in this, but I bought an incredible revenue stream that was so powerful. And I took great pride in being the first relative to ever pay him back. Oh, that's cool. That was a moment. It's just a moment that that I'll always hold because I wanted him to have faith that, hey, you bet on me and I'm going to bet back on you by paying you back. But that business, everything went south. 
Chris, we had all the best non-compete agreements. We had everything in place, but the advisors I bought it from actually came back into practice. And if you can imagine, these clients didn't know me, they knew those other advisors. And so clients are walking down the hallway and they see these other advisors and say, I didn't realize you guys were still here. They began to work with them. The business went into free fall. It was, I'll be just, just transparent here. It was one of the darkest moments of my life. And it was the closest I came to even thinking about bankruptcy. How are we going to work our way through this? And my wife and I, we prayed and we just carefully really considered all the options. And my wife, I remember she said, Derek, you've always worked through hard things. Now is the time to work through this hard thing. Mm. And I think it was us being unified and being on the same page and a sort of this us versus the world mentality. Suddenly ideas came to me very rapidly. One was I physically moved my office across the highway so that now there was no interaction with this other group of advisors. So that removed that altogether. And now I began to just call people on a regular basis. And, and really, I came to peace with what I could not control. I just came to peace and realized, okay, all I can control is I pick up the phone, I send an email, I express love and concern and how much I care about these clients. And then what happened was, that business grew. But what it did is it built confidence in me that through the hardest of times, I bet on myself. It was hard, but I won the bet. And I went on to purchase three other businesses, but I had to go through that dark time, the darkest in my life, to look myself in the mirror and say, are you willing to do what it takes when things get hard? And now actually, I'm thankful for that. It's funny when you're in the middle of it, you're cursing it, but at, at the outside of it, you're like, well, I'm really glad I went through that. <laughs> that's a great. And there's a lot of gap in between. Yeah, that's a great story. Thanks for, for sharing vulnerability like that. I think people learn the best from the vulnerable stories. You brought up a really interesting point. Uh, when you were going through the toughest times financially, you locked arms with your wife and that gave you the power to propel yourself out of there. And we know the number one stress in families, in marriages, in relationships is money how to yeah. manage money, how to talk about money, when money is up, when money is down. Do you have any great advice for the people who are coupled out, or coupled up out there when it comes to managing money or communicating about money together? Well, money is certainly a hot issue, but it's also because it causes a lot of hot arguments if you're not very careful. I'll tell you a story. When we first got married, I enjoyed being the manager of the day-to-day expenses and the long-term investments. I really love the long-term piece. What I found, though, was the most frustrating part of my week was sitting down in front of my my little Macintosh computer back back that it had a handle on it, for goodness sakes, and this dot matrix printer. Um, I just didn't like paying the bills. And my wife could tell I was frustrated. And she said, Derek, what if I took on paying the bills? And at first, I was like, you know, I want to provide for our family. I want to lead our family. I don't want to have to burden you with this. But then I began to realize, Derek, if you don't let your wife do this, you're robbing yourself of her talent and you're not letting her be really good at what she's good at. Mm. And so I realized I need to get out of this lane and I need to be in my lane, which was long-term investing, and her lane is the magical day-to-day. Once I did that, I can't believe how much better, how much clearer 
our goals and really our marriage became because we both had a purpose now. We both could trust each other and we both had a lane because, you know, if two cars are in the same lane, what happens? They crash. And that's what we were doing financially is just crashing. And so by her doing that, even to this day, she is the master of the day-to-day and I simply love the long-term. It's great. And so that's what I would say to couples is have that open communication, but I would take it one circle outside of the money and really just ask each other just on a non-money topic, hey, what can I do to better serve you? And that question goes not to money, not to to kids, but just, I, I love being with you. I love my wife. I love our time together. It's not always easy. She's got to put up with me for goodness sakes. But I think we've been married now 27 years, Chris. Congrats. Well, thank you. Thanks. And, and, and it's been beautiful. It's been hard, but it's been great to think that I'm doing life and building a business with my best friend. Yeah. But I want to make sure that people get to that point and have those critical conversations because I'm always amazed. I had a couple one time when I was in practice and we were talking about retirement and the couple finally said, you know, Derek, we've realized we're going to get divorced. And I wasn't completely surprised because you could kind of see things going on. But they said the busyness of our lives covered up what we were already thinking. Mm. Because going to the soccer game or the baseball game or the school event, well, with all the kids out of the house and it was just he and I together, we realized we stopped getting into each other and really liking each other a long time ago. And what we know is that, I mean, couples that work together, that have fun together, that plan together, they stay together. Yeah. And that's really a mantra for me. I mean, the worst way to cut your net worth is to divorce it in half. Yep. I mean, that that's that's a no-win for either party. So I, I just think going back on the subject here, talking about, hey, honey, is there is there something that I can help you with? How can I better serve? And both of you have that ongoing conversation. I think that's really key to not just a better life, but also making more money. That's that's great advice. Thanks for sharing that. Derek, you got a new book coming out. It's called The Good Money Revolution. Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, it's sort of the pride you have when you're holding a newborn baby in your yep. in your hands, you know? So it comes out 222 Oh, so, is that cool? Well, it's, it's cool because I'm going to use the tagline, the revolution begins 222 I mean, I couldn't pass it up. I'm like, this is, this is That's gold. That's good. Yep. So a, a good friend of mine, Donald Miller, Mm -hmm. who I've learned a lot from, uh, he agreed to write the foreword to the book. And this is where the book gets a little bit personal for me because I've had many people I highly respect. Uh, Sharon McMahon has the popular Sharon Says So podcast. She's endorsed the book. You know, John Acuff, uh, uh, Michael Hyatt, uh, a lot of quality people who I believe in And when you see them put their name to yours, it's really, really powerful. But the premise of the book is if you're not making the money that you feel you deserve and you're not making the impact in the world you've always wanted, there is a better way for your money today. And what I want to do is dismiss this whole idea that culture has right now, Chris, that says, if you have too much money, you're bad. If you're successful, you're villainized. If you uh, do a lot and have a lot of wealth, You've done it by disingenuous means. And I want to dismiss that. Now, are there bad people out there doing bad things? Well, of course there are. But I want to encourage good people 
to build up more good money to do good work in the world. And one of the examples, if I might share this, Chris, I had a, a client come in the office. His name was Dave. Uh, this was a couple of years back. And you know those relationships where you can just tell something's bothering somebody. They just they feel like they're they're wearing the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I said, Dave, it's clear that something's bothering you. Tell me what's going on. And he said, Derek, the business is going fine. You know, my kids are working in it, but I'm just not into it anymore. I'm not excited. I don't love getting up in the morning. I just don't like going to work anymore. You know, what what do I do? Somehow the words came out of my mouth. Is there a cause that you care deeply about? Mm-hmm. And he sat back and he said, It's funny you ask that because a couple of years ago, our family went on a trip in this village that they went to, that guide mentioned how they needed a schoolhouse to really educate the kids. It was holding them back from being successful. And he remembered telling his wife, wouldn't it be cool to provide a school for that village? Well, they got back to the States. Things got busy. Their business was cranking up. They just kind of forgot about it. But my question reminded him of that. And I said to him, what if you took the next year and you said, I'm going to increase my business by 20% this year, and I'm going to give half of that increase to fund that school? Yeah. Well, his eyes got as big as saucers. And he said, Derek, that's, that's powerful. I think I could do that. So we wrapped up the meeting. He comes back in three months later. This is a new guy. Huh. He looks like he's lost weight. He looks younger. He is reinvigorated. I said, Dave, you got to tell me what's happening here. You look like a different dude. He said, Derek, after we talked, I was a bit skeptical, but I went home, talked to my wife, and we both bought into this. You're not going to believe this, but the business is already up 20%. We've already funded almost half of that school. And I got to tell you, I, I was, it was a very emotional moment for me. Here's two grown guys. But when you see someone who sees their potential, and it begins to get extracted from them and they're doing good in the world, it was so powerful. And what he said was, he began to tell his customers that there is this cause that we believe in as a business. And by you doing work with us, we're going to give a portion of our profits to support this school. Well, what happened was, as we know, there's so much commoditization in the world. People can buy a product or service from anybody. He used that, what I call generosity purpose, as his differentiator. His business boomed. There was new business from existing clients, new business from new clients, but they bought in not just to a great product or service and to him, but to the mission of being part of something bigger than themselves. So it it goes to show that a lot of people think, you know, Chris, if I give you $20, Derek loses 20 and Chris gets 20. Well, the reality is that's not the case at all. You can actually set a goal for yourself to say, look, I'm going to get a raise. I'm going to make more money, grow my business so that I can give more money. But in the end, I'm still making more money. So it's a beautiful model. That's what the book's about is empowering people to go make money, go make a lot of it and use some of it for good. I love that. This will freak you out. I don't know if you know this. For the last four years, the motto to the show is when good people make good money, they do great things. And I saw that on your Instagram. I was fired up. (laughs) in alignment with this mission of let's empower people with this tool called money, where when you have enough of it flowing over, you are able to make such a difference in the causes that you care about. And if if everybody lived up to that value, if everybody played all out so that they had this excess abundance, imagine the solutions in the world. 
that we could start knocking out one by one by one by one. It, it'd be incredible because money is the fix to almost all of those things. I completely agree. It's the most powerful lever that we can pull to impact change. And so part of the book is really going at those limiting beliefs people have had. Often since they were kids, they might've seen their mom or dad pound their fist on the table and say, if only we had more money, then we could do this. Or they might've heard, well, you know, money is only for that group of people Mm -hmm. or that family over there. And so people growing up, not of their own fault at all, thought, I live in this box and this is all that there is for me. So I, I hope that the book really helps rip people's boxes apart that they've been trapped in for so long and empowers them, whether they're 15 or 95, to say, you know what, until I draw my last breath, I can make more money to do more good. It's a great title, Good Money Revolution. I love the message. Where can we find it? So it's on Amazon right now. We're actually working on our pre-order campaign, but people can pre-order it. Uh, 222.22 is going to be the big uh, release. But what I hope... You know, do I want to sell lots of books? Sure. But deeper to me and my heart on this, Chris, is I want it to be a movement. I really want it to change people's behavior and say, wow, I never realized that me, whoever me is that's listening right now, can actually make a difference. I don't have to be this billionaire or this mega successful person. As my friend Bob Goff once told me, he said, Derek, if you want to change things, start by walking across the street. Mm. And it was such a powerful metaphor to me of just start where you're at. You got five bucks, you give the five bucks, 10 bucks. Just just start doing the small things and you can make a difference. Even if it's just in that one person, you made the difference too. That's incredible. Where, Where does your love of generosity come from? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this earlier. You know, going back as a kid, I just always enjoyed money. I enjoyed tracking it. If I found a penny on the ground or a nickel, I kept these little cash books <laughs> that I would write in <laughs> 01 or 05. I remember keeping my first paycheck, $3, 35 an hour. Wow. So, but, but I always was raised and I, and I always tithed 10%. So I always gave back 10% to my church. But I, I then found great joy in giving back more than that because I found for whatever reason, the more that I was giving, it felt like more opportunity was sort of coming my way. Mm. And I felt like by serving other people, whatever that mentality was, I felt very, very blessed. I remember one time, you'll laugh at this, I wanted to donate money to our food pantry at the church, but I wanted to give it anonymously. And so I actually wrote the envelope in my left hand you know, for the food family so they wouldn't know where it came from because they had to kind of track and so forth. But it, it's just kind of funny to to think those early days. But now, you know, that's how I built my business. I'll tell you a quick story. As a financial advisor for about 25 years, I thought, and and people would come to me because, hey, Derek, you're intelligent, you're good with money, all these things. But a couple years into the business, I would start getting these just referrals from people. And they would say, Derek, we want to work with you because we see what you do in the community. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, pause. What are you talking about? Well, And they bring a picture of me in the newspaper giving an award to a local student for leadership or to a teacher of the month. And they said, Derek, we love education and we love people who support what we love. We want you to be our advisor. Well, that was a mind-blowing moment for me because I'd been giving just because that's who I was. And I felt like we as successful people should give back to our local community. What then I realized was part of the loop was 
people wanted to work with me and other people like me because it let them be part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And I think in all of us, there's that thirst that longs to be quenched that if we can be part of, we can get a great product or service that we believe in that solves a pain point that we've got, but it also solves other people's pain points and makes the world better. That's the win. And I, I think that's what helped me sell my business for you know, a, a good amount, uh, build a successful practice, but more importantly, provide great service to clients who weren't just investing their money. They were part of something bigger than themselves. Wow. I love that. So that brings us to our final question then, um, being that our tagline is when good people make good money, they do great things. Can you share, now that you've been so successful, humbly, a time that you've been able to do something great because of the financial position you put yourself in? Sure. You know, there's how I think about that question is how have we sacrificed? You know, it's easy to take money that, well, I don't really need that. I'll just give that. But when there's an element of sacrifice, when you feel like you're giving something up, that's when it can be very, very powerful. And there, there was a moment about 15 years ago, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be vague, but I'll make the yeah. point, okay? There was an organization we had made a, a, a pledge to, and um, other people's pledges simply weren't coming in. And we had a kitchen remodel at the time that we had planned for, we're excited about. It was our, really our first big sort of home remodel project as a newly married couple. And we just felt led to give the money we had don't, uh, saved for the kitchen to that organization. And it's funny because we, we joked, well, we just gave away our kitchen. <laughs> but but, but it, it, it actually felt good on a couple levels. One was as a couple we were unified on doing it. You know, that would be very bad if one spouse did it and the other, that, that could create a whole lot of, uh, of animosity there. We were on the same page, but also we began to see the good that it was doing, but also unsurprisingly, other opportunities just kind of came our way where the, the money was replenished quicker than we thought it would, just in terms of business growth, other clients, these kind of things. So it's always interesting when you choose to bet on yourself when you're generous with the belief that I'm going to bless someone else, but also knowing that this is not going to put me on the street, I can find a way, I can creatively put my back against the wall, I can burn my ships metaphorically, and I can move forward. That, I think, instills belief that I can give and I can keep growing this pot for more and more good that can come out of it. Ah, I love that. That's a cool story. Thanks for being willing to share that. So sure. listen, guys do us a huge favor here. Derek has been kind enough to come on and share all of these tips, all of this knowledge. Please go to Amazon and grab The Good Money Revolution. I promise you it's going to be one of these books that helps to shift into focus that it's not just about making money, but when I make really good money, then I can go do good things for people who deserve it. Derek, thanks for being on. It's been a pleasure to get to know you, by the way. You are a stand-up guy. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I'm looking forward to more. Thank you, Chris. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review 
and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.